Patrick Fox, talking to as many Americans as I possibly can. First and foremost, I'm not an elected official. I am not a diehard Democrat or a diehard Republican. I'm a father of 11 children that I love and teach values and work very hard to support. I grew up very lower middle class but have lived a difficult at times but privileged life since then. I am a trial lawyer and a very good one, one of the best in the country, and I understand the law. I was born in Queens, New York, and my mother let me play with Puerto Rican children who I had a blast playing with. I never thought twice about their skin color or their race. I love their culture. I love their food. I was Irish, which at the time was not a prominent culture and a lower middle-class Irish. I heard horrible stories about my grandmother being spit on when she was a maid and my mother and her being almost, or maybe they were raped. I didn't get on a plane until I was married to my first wife, very nice woman. And I have never been to Europe yet in my life. I've represented rock stars. In fact, my very first case was for Ronald Isley of the Isley Brothers, and I love Ronald and his then-wife, Angela Winbush, and his new wife now. I represented Anita Baker, who was very nice to make a salmon meal for me in her house in Detroit, Michigan. I represented Tom Waits, a really introspective, smart, now sober singer-songwriter. I represented MC Hammer. I've represented now Sean Hall in a lawsuit against Taylor Swift, where he admits he as he's a fan of hers, he just wants some respect for some lyrics of his that he thinks that she either intentionally or otherwise used. I represent huge companies that you've heard of. I don't want to get into their names because this is my broadcast. It's not on their behalf. I have won some of the most important trials in this country. And uh, yet I can tell you that you know, I drive like an old lady. I don't boast of being good at golf or many other sports. I love this country. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I was more brash. I have always had a career that has had me flying across the country, trying cases mostly in the New York region and surrounding states, and of course, Washington, D.C., and Maryland, where I started my career, Covington and Burling, and later at Collier, Shannonville, and Scott, and uh, ran around the monuments which are beautiful, by the way. No one should tear them down. And read history extensively and uh, always had friends from different races because I was always more comfortable with people who were different than the same and never ever saw any reason to judge a person based on their skin color or where they came from or what neighborhood they came from. I knew that it was done. I knew I didn't come from a wealthy family or an important family. I knew that what was important to me was whether the people around me were good people and trustworthy. You know, at a certain point in time, I realized that my life had become very New York, L.A. centric, meaning that, you know, I love and I do love Manhattan and Los Angeles. They're cities with great restaurants, and I've eaten and been privileged to eat at many of those, and they are diverse cities, which are important for me to be in because I have never wanted to be in a place where everybody thinks the same or acts the same. And the styles are really cool. And people, the people I've met have been really 
really great people. I love the Latin culture. The trial lawyer, my biggest problem was I didn't get home in time for family dinners, which I now regret. My second wife was Colombian and learned and met through her every possible person that lived and came from different countries in South America. So those countries can't be grouped together. They compete in soccer. They have different cultures. Colombia's culture is wildly different than Argentina's culture, which is wildly different than Chile's culture and Mexico's culture. But they're beautiful cultures. Their food's amazing. They dance really well. They have a sense of family that many people should aspire to copy. And uh, so I've been blessed in a life where my first clients in the music world happened to be black, mostly. I didn't focus on that. They were just really good people who treated me with respect, and I treated them with respect, and they invited me into their life, which was a beautiful thing for them to do, and me into theirs, and I never thought anything other than, you know, these are really neat people. And I have been around Latin people, represented Latin clients. I represented Paulina Rubio. You know, I'm not here to bore you and tell you my life story. My sister decided that there were enough children in the world who were on the streets and homeless. So she had a woman in the inner city of D.C. who had a child she couldn't afford to have, and she adopted her. She's black. She's my niece. She's amazing. Her name's Teddy, and I love her. And Teddy, a shout-out to you. She has, an, you know, an amazing personality, and she was raised by my sister and her husband, Herman. And she is on a swim scholarship at Manhattan College, and you should go see her swim because she is setting records. Of course, you know, I went to Yankee games as a kid all the time, and I would sit in the bleachers and walk around the neighborhood. You know, I knew that, you know, if I went to a certain neighborhood as a white guy that, you know, I might be asking for some trouble. And I always thought, generally speaking, that if people got to know me, they would realize they had, I had no beef with them. They had no beef with me. I've been to Spanish Harlem, to dance clubs, to meet musicians and clients. I've been to all of the bad parts of the inner city. I was in D.C. law students in court and represented indigent black women who were tenants. I have gone to the inner city of L.A. to uh, sandwich builders with Danny Amos, a phenomenally gifted human being in terms of his soul and his spirit. And I've really worked hard to bring blankets and food to homeless people all over New York and L.A. My firm that I started to build 10 years ago was, was intended to create a new footprint for America. I figured if I could build an environment where people were of every type, uh, meaning every race, every sexual orientation, every culture, every religion, and get people who are progressed enough and intelligent enough and, and mature enough to not be mean to somebody because their religion was different or their sexual orientation was different, or not to hire any men who thought that they somehow were superior to women or would make women feel uncomfortable in any way whatsoever. And I really tried to, with this firm, make a firm that could be a role model for this country. And that we lowered our rates. We have a real team-oriented and open and honest culture. It's not easy. 
because we have thin margins, because we do work for free, we do pro bono work, we do work for people who run out of money and we keep representing them, but we, we try to do the right thing in, in L.A. and New York. When flying from New York to L.A., in my immature, younger days, I used to say, couldn't we just put these two cities together and get rid of everything else in between? That's a mean statement. It's a hurtful statement. It's an ignorant statement. And when my brother moved to New Orleans and lived in Metairie and lived a very upper middle class, but middle class life, and then my daughter moved into an area that was traditionally a black neighborhood that was changed into a white neighborhood and where the black people in the neighborhood told me how displaced they felt. And when I started to try cases in the middle of this country and join business organizations in South Dakota and vacation in Montana and try cases in Dallas, Texas and go to Asheville, North Carolina, I slowed down and remember telling people, you know, geez, I can't believe how ignorant I was. Just because they don't have five-star hotels or five-star restaurants, these people are really intelligent, well-read, many of them well-educated, and they have families that are so loving and strong and beautiful. And, you know, I realized that I was wrong. This, uh, you know, elitist view I had that, you know, the people who live in the big city are so much better because we're better educated and we are better restaurants and better everything than those people who live in small homes or go eat at Olive Garden or have to go shopping at, you know, Sam's Club or, you know, have uh, trailer homes or have uh, Eric Bell, one of my clients, lived in Pahrump in a large trailer. I had a client who brought me out to NASCAR races and I will tell you that every single American, if you were just to, I wish I could take some of us who, who have become so divided and take them on a road trip with me across the country where we put aside legislation and political differences and power grabs and all the other stuff that motivates human beings today. And we just were human beings and we went on a road trip across the country where what you would find is, yeah, there's some people out there who, who might be in need of some emotional help. That's also true in New York and L.A. But there are people, mostly what you're going to meet are really nice people. If you're nice to them, they're nice to you. And you'll get to see how the other half lives or the other people live. And, you know, when I went to South Carolina for the first time, and drove through Charleston out to John's Island and the like, I saw American flags everywhere and churches everywhere. And when I started to talk to people, just, you know, regular conversation, one of the things they were looking forward to was Sunday church because they get together and they do things and they bring food. It's how they welcome people that are new into the community. I remember at first thinking, boy, you know, the American flag is, if I put that in my front yard, some people might really make some assumptions about me. They might think I'm a Trumper or Trump supporter, or they might burn it, or they might think, you know, in today's world, you're not supposed to be proud of America and proud of the American flag. And I couldn't believe those thoughts went through my mind because that's what we are. We're Americans. 
and that is a symbol of our country. You're, you know, speaking again about Latinos, they wear their flags draped around them to soccer games. They love their country in the World Cup. I mean, having spirit for your country is a good thing. And I want to take on a couple of topics. Look, if you went back in time and you lived in Roman times, you would probably not live very long and you'd be astonished at how cruel, how crude, how vicious they were, how one civilization took over another and enslaved everyone and raped all the women and treated people like dirt and how much avarice and greed and how horrible life was then. And when the founders of this country left England and came to this country, they were not, for the most part, upper-class people. They were just poor people who wanted a better life. And we see that a lot in every walk of life, every generation of life, poor people migrating to try to find something better. And I should say, put a pin in that, because when we think of our immigration issues, which are complex, we have to remember that this is a nation of immigrants, and it was started by a group of people who came to a country that was already being lived in by a beautiful culture, if you read about it, and an amazing culture of Indians that didn't get along with each other at all and tried to kill each other often, which again is, is a primitive way of living. And Thankfully, in some ways, but not in all, we have advanced beyond that. There were some upper-class people who were sent over to kind of be the bridge to the elites at the time in England, and they became some of the people who put together the Constitution of this United States. Now, for us, the idea that anybody would think of slavery was okay, first of all, it turns my stomach and makes me want to puke into a toilet. I hate all oppression. If you read anything I post, I, I don't like it when a husband is, is dominating their wife. I don't like it when teacher, you know, takes advantage of a student. I don't like it when cancel culture destroys a person's career because they just can and because they don't want to be disagreed with. I don't like it when anyone talks down to, talks badly about, or oppresses another person. I would have died very quickly because the minute I saw one slave being auctioned off, I would have objected and lost my life. I couldn't live in a world where that was happening, and yet I do live in a world where Women are humanly trafficked. It's not happening in front of me. And I'm trying to learn more from people who know about it to, to get in the way of those people. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson lived a very complicated life where he actually had a black mistress who was at the White House. And there was this two-tiered society that seems absolutely disgusting and inane. But in many ways, in their mind, they were progressed. They weren't, but they did decide that they wanted to move away from a tribal existence where just one one tribe conquers another, enslaves everyone, and rapes everyone, to a system of laws and rules, and to something that would approximate a, a country that would grow and progress into something that we could all be proud of. And, you know, when you think of people who lost their lives fighting against Hitler— who was, you know, absolutely in the most deranged way, killing Jewish people and torturing them. And Mussolini and Stalin, who wanted to take over the world and impose forms of government that are very controlling and very uh, 
advantageous only for the people at the top and horrible for the middle class and lower classes. And we all know that if you read history, it is. And people died on beaches, by machine gun, by knife, by drowning, caught fire, died gruesome deaths, some very young, 18, 19, 20-year-old men, black and white, Latinos, fighting for what? Fighting for freedom from tyranny, from being controlled by one person's idea of how everyone should look. Hitler thought that everyone should look the same, think the same, be one race, and if you were of a different mindset or you looked differently or you thought differently, he was going to kill you. So as we march through history, it, it's not helpful for us to erase it, to not teach our children about it, or to wipe it off of the face of our history or our statutes or our, our landscape, because it's so important to remember the mistakes that were made. I'm 60 years old. It's important for you to remember the mistakes I've made in my life so that I don't, number one, continue them, and two, that I can teach my children to be better. So whoever is running around trying to tell you that we should forget our founding fathers, well, if you took the whole map of history, they were better than a lot and worse than others, and none of them are to be looked at as the model for what is a progressed world today because we're supposed to have advanced beyond them. But there needs to be some perspective, and no one should ever, 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 ever say in any shape or form that some form of oppression that occurred in the past is okay. It was never okay. And every human being who was oppressing knew in their heart it wasn't okay. Because human beings know in their heart when they're doing something wrong. And I'm telling you, when you oppress, enslave, cancel culture, talk poorly about, malign, harass people because they disagree with you or they think differently than you or they have a different political affiliation or they have different skin color, you don't feel good about yourself. You don't. I know you don't. You can lie to yourself and say, oh, I feel great acting this way, but you don't. Now, why am I recording this? Well, look, there are people in this country who don't have the advantage of a four-year education, and they're both in the inner cities, but also in rural areas, where they might have a, a master's degree, but choose to live in an area where people put American flags in their front yard and have church gatherings on the weekend and welcome newcomers. And that's different than our life in L.A. in some places, not all or New York, and some places not all, and different for the people who have the big jobs. Because if you're a senator or a CEO or a lawyer, like me, it's a big trial lawyer, or a doctor or a news reporter, you can get a little lofty in your view of yourself and forget you know, how simpler life, based on simple values, is very important. I believe that there are people who have a lot of money who want to change our country dramatically, and they are not at all Americans at heart. I could tell you who they are, but they're very powerful, and I don't think it's my place because I'm a lawyer, and I, I would have to research that dramatically long and have a forum in which to prove my point. But I have a good hunch, based on a lot of reading and a lot of talking to a lot of powerful people, that there are some powerful people who have 
you know, when you're very powerful, the idea that you can change a culture or the world or you can have this power gets to you. It's an addiction. It is an addiction. It's not something that you're going to, you know, I always laugh because those people are going to die just like everybody else. They're going to be just dying. They're taking their last breath. They have to go to the bathroom and sit on the crapper. They, they are not any, you know, no one's ever that much better or greater than anyone. Even if they're the president, vice president, head of a company, head of Twitter, head of Facebook. I mean, you go through their lives, they had periods where they didn't have friends or they weren't very popular or they were popular or they were mean or they weren't mean or maybe they're psychotic or they're on medicine because they have a problem with their stability or their personality. Who the hell knows? But we're all fractured human beings. We're all having a hard time of it. So the minute we start, you know, the, the, the game of trying to character assassinate, oh, you know, first of all, what, what are we accomplishing? Are we really making a better world? Are people happier? Are we happier by assassinating other people's characters? So the truth of the matter is, is that we're all human beings, and we all have faults, and we all have strengths, and we all look for the same basic things, which is a warm bed to go to sleep in at night, and a sense that we're doing the right thing, hopefully. And any of us who are on power trips should get off of them. And if any of us are doing things in our heart that we know are wrong and hurtful to a lot of people, we should stop those things too. I grew a lot when I visited and tried cases and took vacations and visited friends and family in throughout this country because I realized that my idea that, you know, New Yorkers and Los Angelinos and people who lived in big, had big jobs in the big city were somehow better than these people. I realized the joke was on me. I worked a lot of hours, miss a lot of family dinners. I, you know, miss a lot of the very simple and important things in life that a person in a small community at a church bake sale gets to experience. Now, I'm talking to everyone. I'm talking to President Trump. I'm talking to President-to-be, Joe Biden, and Vice President-to-be, Kamala Harris, to Mike Pence, to every CNN and Fox News reporter that I can get to listen to this. Look, you can wake up in the morning and keep getting congratulatory pats on the back by other people who are in the oppression world you live in. If you are a Democrat or a Republican and you don't think that you're constantly spewing anger and hatred and words that are divisive and that make other people feel really bad about themselves, then, man, you need to take a long walk around the block and think about what's really happening and what you're really saying. President Trump, you know, did some good things. I mean, you know, he brought peace. He he tried to bring peace. He tried to bring soldiers home. And if you're the family of those soldiers, you thought that was good. He tried to bring jobs to the inner city and do some good things for them. And he certainly tried to get the vaccine to come quicker. And I don't like the man because, you know, I, I, I don't like people who are braggadocio and people who say mean things. And, you know, he said some incredulously horrible things that the president should never say and no person should ever say. And, you know, yet I try not to judge anyone and I try to really never judge him. And, you know, I always felt that, you know, it was important to try to figure out what is the best of every person and what's best for the country. I knew from my time in Washington, D.C., that there are politicians who sold their political clout, and I know it because I'm very connected, to countries and to companies. And I knew that the reason that a lot of the people in the inner city and 
lower middle class people always get screwed over is because they don't have the ability to buy a politician. So I'm not a fan of our politicians. I think that they long ago should have come up with a different structure that assured that a politician couldn't be as beholden as they all are to companies and countries. But, you know, you'd have to ask yourself, how do they on a government salary, most of them, that's all they do, live in these monstrous houses in, in usually rich areas? Well, it's because money finds a way into their brothers or their uncle's bank accounts. And, you know, they go do speaking and money comes this way and it comes that way. And suddenly they have to do a favor for this person and that person. And, and by the way, we've all known that anybody who lived in the real world, who went to law school, who lived in D.C., who worked at firms like Covington and Burling, met people the way I've met, you know how, look, I know the investment banking world and hidden fees. I know Hollywood and how many times ideas have been ripped off. I know the dark side of the human race, and it, it is not exempt from Washington, D.C., but there's a darker, darker movement in this country to destroy it. It's not primarily left or right. It is actually just instigating arguments between both of them so that the country will eventually dissolve into a, a, pit, of, a, a, a pit of anger, death, and destruction. And then they can come in and take over. You can figure out who they are. You do the work. There's some, I, I want us to get along, yet not give in on our differences. You know, look, AOC wants to address the climate, but so does every other young person on the planet who's worried about some of the weather and some of the th hurricanes and things they've seen. And I was on a plane with a group of frackers who were talking about how they were able to support their family and that. There was a way to do clean fracking that the Canadians had figured out. And I suddenly realized that not all fracking is the same and that whatever we could do to make sure these people still had a job is something we should do because you know, when you lose your job and you can't support your family, you're on the street doing opiates, that's a bad place to be. So, you know, I, I think every one of these issues that you bring up are important. And I don't think that the left brings up issues that are like, you know, kids in most countries can get their education for free. And I do think it's outrageous that you have to spend this much money to go to these universities where at a lot of them, the kids just get drunk for four years. I joined a fraternity. I partied my butt off. Was that really what an education is supposed to be all about? There were some good times and I learned some things, but no. So I think the education system does need an overhaul. And I don't think you should have a 20 year old. And I have kids that because I've had so many that have had you know, student loan debt and, and, and it's, it's oppressive. Along with hospital debt, you know, you know, I know young people who have had illnesses and end up with massive hospital debt, you know, and they can't pay for much of anything, a vacation or all their groceries because there's so much that was uncovered. So the healthcare and education system, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, has to be overhauled. And, you know, if that means that some of the fat programs that, you know, are being given away to other countries or big corporations by politicians who are bought by them have to be not given away. Well, too bad. And I think, you know, Americans, and I'm talking to all of you, we need to take our country back. We, Americans, need to take our country back. We should not have a single politician who took a single dollar from another country or corporation in office. There should be a code of decorum for our elected officials. And, you know, sadly, most of them would fail. 
I didn't always agree with President Obama's positions, but I did think he was eloquent. I did think he generally never said a mean thing. And I think he had a view of a way forward that if you agreed with him, great. If you didn't, well, then you'd vote somebody else in. But at least he was always professional. And I think we should expect our presidents to be professional. Donald Trump did a lot of good things. He wasn't all bad, but he was horribly unprofessional and horribly mean. And, you know, I don't want anybody in a leadership position in this country or in, in any position, really, who, who can't restrain themselves from making mean comments or being unprofessional. Now, there's a lot of people in this country who are glad to have somebody who would take a few swings at the, the, the what they call the swamp for them because, and I want to talk about them because that's, the, that's what I'm getting to. Look, there are people who are veterans, like the woman who was shot at the Capitol, 15-year veteran. Uh, there are small-town lawyers. There are people who own companies, some of which were destroyed by the rioters. And the insurance companies won't pay them back. I remember they pulled one of the rioters aside and said, you're burning up someone's life savings, their dream. Do you think that's fair? And they said, they'll just get the money back by insurance. Well, I'm a lawyer, and a lot of those companies came to me. And the insurance companies have exclusions for that kind of destruction, and most of the people didn't get the money back. And so a lot of them ended up having to close up shop and lose their dream and move someplace else and try to survive another way. I cried a lot in this last past year because, you know, young black men were shot in Portland at a zone that was no longer a part of the United States. People burned. You know, cops need to be audited, take um, personality profiles, and any evidence that they're racially driven or are acting oppressive, they should be taken off the job. It doesn't mean we should get rid of all cops. Uh, I think shooting a person should be a last resort and cops who do it before then should also be, you know, look, man, you got a gun that's a lot of power. You should use it only, only, only. You should be ready to use your own life, lose your own life to avoid killing a person as long as you're not letting other people get in harm's way. I really think that when you're a police officer, you're there to protect the community. And if you, you know, if you've gotten too angry because you're in a lot of, you see a lot of ugly things, or you become racist for some reason, or you have anger management issues, you can't be a cop. And there's too much of that. And that's where we get into unions because unions protect their own. LA taxes us. I live here, man. We get taxed a lot. And I mean a lot, but that money doesn't get its way into the public school system not most of the places. Community I live in, the public schools are good, but you have to spend a lot of money at school events and on your children, money that people in the inner city don't have. And my sister who taught in the inner city of D.C. told me it was impossible to teach because there was simply not a a structure to the system and that the books were so old. Everything was outdated because corruption in the unions and they steal the money away from the kids. We all know that. And if you don't, well, they do. And, you know, anytime you hear a government official going on about all the great things they do, you better start checking out how the, their constituents feel. And look at how big their house is compared to the houses of most of the people that they govern. And if their house is much bigger, then something's wrong. So there are a lot of problems here. And they're serious and the clock is ticking. If you 
look, there was violence caused by a bunch of young men and women, and then some organized groups that were being funded by people who wanted to cause problems in this country. But they were protesting something very worthy, which was the police officer should not profile anyone. <clears throat> you shouldn't pull a person over because they're black. And you shouldn't go on some power trip and oppress a black person because that's bullshit and it can't go on anymore. Period. End of story. And if you continue it, everyone in the world's going to oppose you. So grow up and get over it. But or Latina or Chinese or a female or white, you shouldn't profile or treat people disparately. Rules are rules. Apply them equally. But apply the laws with restraint. And we shouldn't be wishing harm on other races or people or political parties. When President Biden's first words before he's soon to become president are that, you know, and some some Congress people are saying, you know, if these were black protesters, uh, they would have all been shot. And, you know, then the announcer says, well, one woman who was a, a member of the Air Force was shot and killed. And, you know, she well, 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 well. I mean, look, no one should be talking about anyone getting shot. Black people shouldn't be shot. No protesters should be shot. If you're violating the law, you should be arrested in a civil way. And there's going to be tons of arrests of the people who climb the Capitol wall because those are all crimes. But there should be also tons of arrests of people who tore down statutes that are federal property and who, who broke into stores and destroyed people's lives and who set buildings on fire and shot cops and shot and maimed other people in, in broad daylight. And I don't care what the cause is, you know, and, and, and the left news tried to say it was justified. It was, this has to keep going. Our vice president to be said that it just has to keep going. Meeting, um asked for peace. He did not ask for violence. And let me tell you, this is what I'm really going to get to. If you have a group of people who are white, mostly, and they don't get paid much money and they live in small, simple homes their faith is everything to them. And some of them hunt because that's how they get their dinner, which of course for someone like me raised as a lawyer and living in nice neighborhoods and who goes to shop at Whole Foods, the idea of hunting anything, I'm vegan, you know, would be like mind blowing. My dad gave me a gun and tried to take me hunting when I was a kid and I didn't like it. I didn't want to kill a deer. So I'm not somebody who likes a gun, but I don't, my brother likes to hunt. You know, I tell him, why I am against it, but I don't judge him and not invite him to my table and treat him with respect. He just has a different way of looking at the world than me. In the end, he has to live with himself. And as long as he's abiding by the laws, that's all a person can ask. And we're all going to have different views and you have to grow up and accept that and still get along. Um, and if you don't like a person, you don't have to have them over to your house, but you know, you should at least be willing to grow and experience different cultures and different people. So if you have a group of people who aren't powerful enough to buy politicians and they're not a minority, so they can't play that card and their jobs have gone away and they're depressed and a lot of them are on opiates that drug pharmaceutical companies push down their throat and they're addicted or they're dead and grandparents are raising the kids and you are holding on to NASCAR races, you go to eat at uh, chain restaurants and clip coupons and stay at cheap hotels when you travel and travel by car, not plane. Anybody who looks down at those people and talks the way that Anderson Cooper did about them. And I like Anderson Cooper. 
He used to be a really fascinating journalist at CNN. And even if that was maybe a slip by him in an accident, it betrayed his own, you know, overinflated sense of self. Or anybody who talks about them, President Trump should have never won in the primaries. He wasn't elegant speaking. He didn't have a real platform. He just saw something that a lot of politicians have not seen for years and years and years, which is a huge class of people who had no one fighting for them in their corner. They're educated, they had jobs, they're consumers to which all the big companies sell products. They have credit cards, they're in debt. Pharmaceutical companies sold them pills, they got addicted on them. And, you know, they're a big part of this country. They're Americans, they're your brothers and sisters. And just because they're not immigrating into the country, not just because they don't speak Spanish, but because they're not black, I mean, it makes them no less your brothers and sisters. They would invite you to their house. They would treat you with respect. And for a lot of them, and I say maybe inconveniently, sadly, wherever you want to come out on it, Trump became the only person who was respecting them and fighting for them. Keep their jobs, not sell them as part of a deal where the politician gets, you know, funneled in money and favors, and to improve, you know, I, I would run into vets all the time who were on the streets, and they'd say that they were on the streets because they couldn't get medical care. So everybody knew that we, we betrayed our veterans who went to war to fight for us, and they were, we just left them dying, rotting in the streets because we couldn't ever take the Veterans Administration and focus on it. And President Trump actually did do that well. But imagine if somebody who was articulate like President Obama and was graceful like President Obama and somebody who wasn't going to say mean or horrible things, somebody who was going to listen, wasn't going to yell at the media, maybe would challenge them to be more fair and report the full story, but in a graceful and eloquent way. Imagine if we had that person who could see the inner city, the humanly trafficked people, the importance of continued immigration, the importance of sitting down and talking about difficult problems and hearing from both sides of the story, not putting your head in the sand. And imagine if that person could also see that group of 70 million people who are principally white, don't have anyone in their corner, not that they think they do. Their politicians come to D.C. and they get bullied into being embarrassed about representing them, a lot of them do, which is horrible. You should never be embarrassed of where you come from or who you represent, no matter who you are, where you are. Wouldn't it have been a beautiful thing for these four years if we had a person who maybe we didn't agree with all of their politics, but they saw everyone, including these 74 million people, they said that no one's religion was to be taken away from them. That if you purchased a gun, not a machine gun, not a killing you know, unit machine, and you were you know, past a, a physical and, and the requirements were made a little stronger, you could have your guns for hunting. The minute you shot them at somebody or around somebody, you would lose that right forever and have stricter rules on who gets guns and how people get guns, but not be so, you know, my way or the highway about these issues that maybe don't influence a person living in New York or a person like myself who has no interest in shooting a gun. But it may be, maybe you can grow to the point of realizing, I need to hear why these people need guns. And I'm very worried because for so long, people have just turned a blind eye to how, how people 
in corporate America and in the police force have just had a separate way of dealing with black people. And, you know, as I hung out with my black artists and I became more entrenched in the black community, I realized that, you know, that, that often they're made to feel uncomfortable, you know, and that's not going to continue and it won't continue. And I'll stand with every one of the black people in this world who say no more, no mas. And, and really the ball players who are taking knees or look, you get to object to that because it shouldn't continue. There's no place for it. It's disgusting and, and its behavior it shouldn't be allowed. And black person shouldn't get in a car and worry about being pulled over more than a white person or a Latina person shouldn't, or a woman shouldn't. The women's movement, I was there when it was in D.C., powerful and awesome, although some women had signs that said, I hate men. And the minute that you cross that line from pride of your initiative to hatred for another person, well, she might have had a husband who beat her, and I could understand that. But that's where you go to counseling, because not every man you meet is going to be that way, I can assure you. So we've got to figure a way to get along, all of us. There's a lot of people in the middle like me. I, I don't really care about these wild, aggressive parties that yell at each other. I want um, a better life for our kids, meaning this racism is gone. But, you know, instead I see people stirring the race issue instead of, you know, my grandmother once had a very bad thing happen in her family. She said, I learned, talk about it, own up to it, and then, then we need to let it go. Because if we keep it alive, it'll never leave our hearts and our minds and our presence. But let people get to the point where they don't even think about skin color. And if you're always on TV, Mr. President-elect and Vice President-elect and anybody else talking about race, you're not advancing the cause. The police forces need good new overhaul and you need to get the cops who are mentally not stable or racist or psychologically not not there. They, they can't be protected by other cops. They have to go. You need to overhaul the education system and the healthcare system, and you need to you know, really deal with the climate issues without wiping out so many people's jobs that you have a whole half a country that's on, on opiates and, and dying early. These are not issues that go all one person's way or the other. They have to be talked through, and in in, in you need experts, and Congress can bring in experts and have them testify, and really intelligent, good people who know how to listen to both sides of an issue need to do what judges do in most of my cases, which is try to find the right answer under the law while not being completely blind to the interests of the other side. But I'm very worried because, you know, the reason that buildings were being burned and things were being looted was because these people felt they weren't being heard. And that's true. But you have to ask yourself, why was a 14-year veteran of our military from San Diego, California, and a gentleman who was the CEO of a company, and a small country lawyer breaking into the Capitol building to confront, without guns, none of them had guns, confront the entire group of politicians and sadly, I don't think any of the politicians have the guts to ask those questions because the answer would be, they've had it with you. Just like black people have had it with all of society in treating them like second-class citizens. So I think what we have learned from the last year is that people are now upset about things enough that the, that the people in charge keep ignoring 
or keep playing power moves. I mean, you can't erase those 74 million people. I actually heard someone on the news today say that 50 million people were jerks. I mean, that's a person on the news calling 50 million people jerks. I think their version of hell would be to sit there and have to spend the rest of their life going into the houses of those 50 million people and telling them, I said, you're a jerk. And realizing that there were some really super nice salt-of-the-earth people that he said that about. I think Anderson Cooper should fly to Montana or South Carolina and go take a very middle, lower-middle-class family that believes in the Lord Jesus, who understands that people have a right to their own sexual orientation. So if they're ignorant, he doesn't have to be around them. But if they're really progressed people and good people, take them out to dinner at a uh, Olive Garden and apologize to them. And Joe Biden, look, you can just be another politician trying to put a stake through 74 million people who are veterans of the military, really good moms and dads, people who consume most of the products in the United States because they don't agree with you or didn't vote for you or they liked a guy that you don't like and they voted for him. And you can call them racists and try to get them really angry or you can try to impeach in the last 12 days the guy that they really care about, Nancy Pelosi. Or you could start seeing them so that you're talking to them. Put Donald Trump aside so that you're making them be seen. Isn't it sad that a former veteran of the Air Force was shot and killed in the Capitol because she wanted to come talk to her politicians because she was so upset with them? That's what really happened. Now, if, I think there needs to be a retreat with all of the people in Congress, and they have to say to themselves, look, the reason those buildings were burned is because we don't treat black people very well, and we got to get that like yesterday, and we need to let them feel heard and take action and execute. And there are some white people who are very lower middle class who like their country and they love an American flag. They like going to church. They don't want you to take away their guns. They're really afraid of all this regulation, and they think that you send their jobs overseas because you get paid money from the countries who you give those jobs to. So we, number one, need to start being honest with the American people, and if we can't tell them honestly what's happening, and boy, oh boy, do a lot of Americans think that politicians are liars and conceal things. Concealing is the worst form of lying. So you know, wouldn't it be great if we could put all the politicians on truth serum? Just tell us all the deals you cut in the back rooms that we don't know about. Because politicians should actually come forward and say that. You know, who paid for your campaign? I mean, people shouldn't be having corporations in other countries. If, if you're a politician, you shouldn't be able to take a penny from another country for the rest of your life until you're done holding office and then you have to swear, I'm not holding office again. And, you know, you guys should, should understand that none of you are doing a great job. None of you. People are upset and you're seeing violence all over this country and even, yes, where you work, because people are at their breaking point. And if you keep pushing them and keep taking your elbow and grinding on them, and Twitter, you should be listening, Facebook. Look, you may not like Donald Trump and you may think that he incited that riot. And in part, I think he was totally irresponsible. But if you think those people wouldn't have been there without him, then you're forgetting there was a tea party. You don't know who these people are. And have you ever asked one of the people who came in and over the wall, were they coming there for a reason other than Donald Trump? 
In other words, do they have issues that they're fed up with? Donald Trump's going to be gone. And what he went through, he brought upon himself in part, and, and part of it is really inexcusable. And we all know that. So it's time, and, and there is, it just can't be this power move. I want to help the people in the inner city. I, I hate the corruption that deprives them of education and good food. I want us to put a stop to human trafficking. I want our politicians to be honest. I don't want them to sell their, their influence. I want news media people to be our guards on the wall who don't give a sh crap about what party they're writing about, but they give us the truth because in today's world, people are great liars and great concealers, and the truth is so hard to find, and people don't even care if they do something wrong. They'll just shout you down and tell you that you're a racist or you're a bad person. Do something so that people will shut up and not listen to you when you call them out. So we need somebody who's out there who's brave enough to tell the real truth, not the slanted truth, the real truth, right down the middle. We sure would like to know if Donald Trump was you know, in cahoots with Russia, but we'd also like to know if Joe Biden's son was peddling his influence and getting money through a back channel. Why, why wouldn't, and, and a news agency that will only give us part of the story because they're not really a news agency, they're cheerleaders for one party or another. Well, if you're cheerleaders, you know, come in with cheer outfits on that says Democrat or Republican. And, you know, don't ever pass yourself off as a real news person. We don't want cheerleaders. We want news reporters. Real, honest to God, I promise, raise my hand, I'll tell you the truth, even if it is against a party that I support or a candidate I support. And, you know, I'm not going to go into a newsroom and crucify a young press secretary just because it feels good. Or I'm not going to, you know, insult 50 to 74 million people and tell them that where they go to a hotel or eat is, you know, try to look down on them and wrinkle my nose because I think I'm better than them. Or, you know, ignore the, the pain of black people or not hire a quarterback because he took a knee because he wanted to stand up for the people of his race. This whole idea that we're going to punch back or hurt as opposed to listen to and understand, I don't know where it came from. I'd love a psychiatrist or a psychologist to, to give an opinion as to what happened to all of us. When did we become so unable to be nice, unable to listen, unable to be genuine, unable to tell it like it is? You know, I can see every side of every issue. I, I feel like I can listen all day to both sides of, of, of this argument and then try to find a, a middle ground so that nobody feels left out. Now, why can't that be happening? I expect more from my politicians, all of them. I don't want to hear about Donald Trump anymore. Look, he, he was a businessman who wasn't owned by anybody that I can tell, but he probably was owned by somebody. But he did a lot of good things and he. You know, there's an old saying that you erase with your elbow what you write with your hand, and that was Donald Trump in the extreme. Donald Trump did a lot of great things, but he he erased it all with his elbow because he said incredibly mean, horribly mean, insulting things, and he didn't act presidential a lot of the time. And while, you know, some people think that that depicts his base or his followers, again, Circle, he was the only person listening to them. 
And I said earlier, wouldn't it have been wildly amazing if somebody refined, somebody who really could be an inspiration to everyone, not just them, but to everyone, and somebody who could represent them proudly because he didn't betray them by saying horrible things to other people he shouldn't be saying. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that person could show up? And I know as I tiptoe through this garden of issues, some of the Trump people are going to really be angry at me because they're going to say, he's our guy and you're putting him down. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, hey, hey, he did a lot of great things, but I'm not going to root for or vote for anybody who says really mean stuff. And if you're angry because you're being overlooked, you're going to be better heard if you're eloquent and if, you know, but, 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 just as black people were saying, man, we've had it. We've tried to be polite. We've tried to, to tell you that you're not treating us well. Well, these lower class white people are pretty much saying the same thing. And if you think in your mind, like, oh, that couldn't be possible. Like, there can't be a group of black people and white people who all feel overlooked and pissed off and want to, you know, have lost it so much so that they don't care if they get arrested or if they destroy the country. They're just so pissed off. The truth is, yes, that's true. Yes. Yes. And sitting above these poor, traumatized black people and sitting above these lower class white people who, you know, have just been shit on and never represented well, are all the doctors, the lawyers, the politicians, the people who own the companies, the people who, you know, everybody looks up to and tries to act like, and, you know, the people who are taking pictures of themselves and sending it out to the world. Look, if you're going to be a leader, be a leader. Be a real leader. Unify, listen, compromise, be nice. Don't say mean things about anyone. You know, I'm getting to the point where even though I, you know, look, I mean, I'm trying to build a firm that's supposed to be a microcosm of the way I want the world to act. And it's hard enough to get, you know, big companies that are so sold on using all the big firms I used to work for that don't have any of these values or are trying to get them, but too slowly to hire my firm and to wake up to change. But I'll tell you, if I don't start seeing politicians who can listen and compromise and who can speak eloquently and who, who can practice, but if you don't have a nice thing to say about someone, then don't say it. Instead, inspire. If you want people to change over your point of view, educate instead of scream at and, you know, be a real leader. Somebody who sells an inspirational, honest, clean, transparent, open agenda and who it tells it like it is in a real nice way and who, who looks at everyone in this great country of ours and doesn't leave anyone feeling like that man or that woman doesn't care about me and they don't like me. And President Trump, you made the media think you didn't like them. If you don't think you hurt their feelings, you're nuts. And you made a lot of uh, women and other people feel uncomfortable in the way you said certain things, and that's the truth. doesn't mean that you didn't do a lot of good. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are cops and white people and corporate heads who just never got comfortable with black people and didn't treat them fairly. And doesn't mean you're the you know, worst person in the world, but it means you had you, that, that just can't continue, man. And you can't continue it. And we're not going to let you continue. And, you know, if you have a lot of money and you can't relate to the people and you 
live in a big flashy city and you drive limousines and big jets and fly big jets and you can't relate to people who live in trailer homes or uh, live in small houses up in mountains and rural areas and who love God and country and country music and NASCAR. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is go spend time with them because they're great people. And two, never call them chumps or jerks or put down where they eat or where they go to a hotel. What's really amazing to me is that all the people I've met in this country are so, with very few exceptions, there's some mean people who really need to get some help, but, but, but they're so small. The people who I've met are, if you are nice to them, they are so nice to you. They will put a meal out on the table for you. They will loan you 10 bucks if you need to take a bus. They will put on their favorite artist for you so at least you can hear their country music or their salsa music or their ranchero music or their rap or their inner city music or their R&B. My daughter invited me to New Orleans and she lives in Ferret. Ferret used to be a very proud black area in New Orleans, which has a beautiful culture. And uh, a lot of people from the Jazz Heritage Band live there. And, you know, I had the great honor to represent some of the Neville brothers. And I learned a lot about, um, and I, I, I've gone to Jazz Fest, and I have clients in the music business. And I, But I went in just to see my daughter, and uh, she was pregnant with her first child, and, and uh, she moved into that neighborhood to be able to help when she wasn't working, her and her husband, the older black people, to learn how to use computers. They're, they're service-oriented people, and God bless them. And so she said, hey, Pops, if you're going to smoke a cigar, and you know, sometimes I do. It's not great for my health, so I try not to, and it's also offensive to other people. But I walked down the street, and I noticed that some of the younger white people that were in the neighborhood were walking around this gathering of black people. They had food out. They had a band. It was a great band. And... There, the, all the new white people who had moved into the neighborhood and they had changed and upgraded things, it wasn't really the same neighborhood. But, you know, I I wanted, you know, this is my nature. I wanted to get to know them. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. Maybe uh, I, I never think like, oh, I'm white and they're black. I, I shouldn't go in and talk to them. I, I think, God, they're souls. They're really cool souls. They're really cool people. They're having fun. There's a really good band. The food smells good. I think I can get something vegan here. Uh, maybe rice and beans. I want to get to know them. Well, I went in with my cigar. You know, some people looked at me a little weird. And that's unfortunate because, you know, why in the world would we make each other uncomfortable? But the best thing that happens when you just get rid of this bullshit race stuff that some people sometime put into our heads going all the way back to the oppressive slavery that makes me sick to my stomach. You know, is I walked up to one gentleman and said, hey man, how you doing? That band is great. You know, I represent some jazz musicians and my daughter lives down the street and I think this is just great. And he brought me in, got me a plate of rice and beans and introduced me slowly to everyone there. Some people were a little slow to warm up, but they ended up sitting in a circle of chairs with me to tell me, I said, now, what is this celebration about? And they said, well, because we're the last 10 houses in the neighborhood. Everyone else has been bought out by white money. And, uh, you know, we're trying to celebrate what this neighborhood used to be. And I said, well, can you bring the neighborhood back to life for me? And he went and he showed me a couple of the houses that were left that had plaques for the Jazz Heritage Band. 
generational homes that had been lived in by five generations. And uh, I spent the rest of the day talking to these people and listening. Listening is an important skill. The older I get, the more I realize how important listening is. You know, people get tired of hearing each of us open our trap, and I'm talking a lot. But I, I realized something, because when you listen, you grow and you learn things. And they told me the pain of watching a neighborhood that was your home for a long time be taken away from you. Now, yes, their friends sold because they wanted the money, but not everything should be about money. That was a beautiful neighborhood. They told me about a cigar place that was down the river that was amazing. I was the only white person there. I didn't give a crap. It, it was fantastic. There was a pool table. Cigars were fantastic. The company was great. I'm not a white person who will ever in my life be uncomfortable around a black person or a Latina person. I will always think, you know, or a person who lives in a trailer home or a person who lives up in the mountains of Asheville. And I just think that if you're open to differences and are willing to learn, don't walk in as though you're better than the people you're around, that you'll come out like smiling and educated. So now I know one of the things I want to stand up against is big money coming into cities. And I see this in New York and moving, you know, typically black or Latin families out of neighborhoods they've been in forever to put in, you know, better housing for the other upwardly mobile people. Well, I think is these are these issues I want to start having discussions about. I think that it's okay to want to um, develop an area that is abandoned and fallen into disrepair. But I think it's horrible when real estate companies, and I know them, come in to play games and make it too expensive for the tenants to stay and then slowly you know, change a neighborhood so that the people have to leave. I think we have to start thinking about more than just, you know, how do we make ourselves happy and how much money can we make? And we have to start thinking about uh, neighborhoods and people and feelings. And we need to start learning each other. And we need to remember that our history isn't something to erase, but it's something to learn by. Just like we learn from our parents who made mistakes, just like we learn from ourselves when we make mistakes. And we need to start following the rule that if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. So I am asking that people send this far and wide. And, and this is the second one of these things I blasted off, and I don't want to do more because I... I'd really rather just let this take root in the souls of human beings. No one wants to see another stupid impeachment hearing. President Trump, no one wants you to incite violence or say a single thing that's derogatory, angry, or annoying until you are in Florida resuming your private life. Twitter, cut it out. You're not God. If the president behaves, give him back access to Twitter. You're not blocking people saying horrible things. And by the way, I know from the human trafficking groups I work with, your Twitter is used by people to use code language to be able to trap young girls into human trafficking. So why don't you start investigating what's really your, your Twitter, your platforms being used for that is really going to hurt this country? When you do these things, when you block President Trump from Twitter or you try to impeach him or he says nasty things, you guys are inciting the other side of the country to become violent. And we've had enough violence, okay? I'm telling you, I'm in the middle. There's a lot of us people in the middle who wants to bring everybody together to listen and get along. 
And when you keep sparking these controversies, you're not helping. And Joe Biden, if you look, look, if you want to be a lifetime politician, if you want to be bounced around by people who you owe favors to, and you want to crush the other 74,000 jerks, well, you know what's going to happen? They're going to rise up and you're going to see one hell of an opposition and it isn't going to be pretty. You know, and if you're going to really be blind and and death to the to the fact that black people are discriminated against, well, you're going to see your cities on fire. So I'm talking to both sides of these issues. You had a person who flew jets and war for you, who you shot in the Capitol because she wanted to face all of you and tell you you weren't doing a good job. That should keep you up at night, that a person in your military wanted to break in and face you, not with a gun that shot and killed her, but you, and tell you that you weren't doing your job. And there are people who should understand that th- these protesters who got arrested and hit in the head, and who, who some of whom got too violent, possibly, were trying to tell you, we've had it, you can't keep discriminating against them. And that should keep some people up at night. So, um, uh, this is a wake-up call. These are smelling salts under the, the nation's nose. Stop oppressing. Stop name-calling. Stop trying to characterize people who act differently than you. Stop trying to punish. Stop trying to force them to think like you. Stop censoring them. Uh, Come up with some ground rules and make sure that there are some consequences that are reasonable for the violation of those ground rules. Stop selling influence. Go after fraud. Go after embezzlers. Go after people who take government funds and use them for themselves instead of their constituents change the elections entirely. It's not just a matter of election fraud. It's a matter of the people are sold out from the beginning if all the politicians can be bought out by companies. So I think this is a great moment in time where we can stop, reflect, and build a better country for everyone. Not perfect for everyone. The enemy of good is perfect, but good enough for everyone. I I like all the people. I think AOC should be an inspiration to young women. And I don't think a lot, I think a lot of her ideas are sharp. I think she needs to learn to study things a little bit further and understand the consequences of some of her actions. But that's growing up and that's what people have to do. I think Bernie Sanders really cares about this country. I believe some of his um, ideas are really good. And um, I think that President Obama, you know, served a very important role and he should be listened to along with Michelle Obama. And if you haven't been to the um, Black Museum of History, you should go there because it's very moving and you'll learn something. The, um, you know, the, the sports and the, the people who are black athletes who are standing up for their culture, good for you. But realize that you're not the only oppressed people in, in this country because there are a lot of lower class white people who have been stepped on, insulted, mis- you know, just screwed over. You can call them Trumpers or whatever you want. They're not, you know, you are not. This is not a game of um, uh, uh, chess where we're trying to capture each other. This isn't Star Wars where, you know, there's the good guys and the bad guys. We're all the same team. And I think, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, when there were world wars, we would understand that real quickly. There was another country that was trying to take over our country and oppress us. And then we'd all put on uniforms and give up our lives and, pull together and have tremendous patriotism. But fortunately, the U.S. hasn't been in any big wars. But I'm just asking you, I love the NBA 
and I love all those players. They dress really cool. They have cool hats. Nick Fouqua in Venice Beach sells the coolest hats, guys. You should go there. And I, you know, I bought the legend seats uh, for Yankee games, but I still find it much more fun and, and interesting to go sit in the bleachers. I like people who are real. I, I don't like fake people or phonies, and I hate people who are mean and say mean things. I'm shocked at how many mean things are said on television, and I think it's outrageous. I think who raised these people, really? I mean, Anderson, like you're a cool guy, and you did some of the most amazing reporting in the world, but it's, you know, your, your parents raised you to be better than, than you've been acting. You, you can't take 70-some-odd million people and just sneer at them because they want to be heard, because they're different than you, because they feel that their issues are being ignored. I mean, too many people aren't asking why. And I'm going to end on this note. I'm in a thought leadership group, and I have friends who are cops in L.A., and it wasn't that long ago that somebody came and ambushed two cops that were by a metro station and shot them in the head. They were young, and uh, you know they fought for their lives, and, and, and the people who shot them came to the hospital and tried to, to, to basically follow up to kill them. Now, there's no excuse for that, just like there is no excuse for the, you know, you can't break into buildings, you can't burn buildings, you can't loot buildings, you can't burn a city you can't capture 12 blocks of a city now, all this stuff is is absolutely insanely illegal and you can't start saying you can do this illegal stuff over here but you can't do it over here because you know guess what you're going to find them in your neighborhood in your senate building in your office building doing illegal things and it may not be the same group but once you tear down the law of the land in one area it is just common sense that Everyone else will assume they can tear down the law in other areas. Come on, guys, let's get smart. But they were laughing in the parking lot. And I asked a very smart, centered human being who preaches corporate thought leadership in Twitter and Facebook, you guys need to really take a step back and look at the whole picture and understand what it means to bring peace to a situation as opposed to incite anger and, and more violence. You know, do the bigger thing, the thing that, 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 that's counter to your agenda-driven self. But I said, why would you want to shoot an innocent cop in the head and then go to the hospital to try to finish the job and laugh? That was really mean. That was really horrendous. That's playing God. None of us have a right to play God. And the person said something really important. And I, again, I try to listen. I try to ask the why question. You reporters should be asking why. Why? And they said, she said, well, ask yourself why and go on a journey and figure it out. Well, I looked up the uh, bios of the people who were later arrested for doing this, and they came from the most horrendous part of the inner city of L.A. And then I played back the tape of everything I learned since I was in law students in court in the worst parts of the inner city in D.C., and you know, these people don't have a life. They don't have anything that they can look forward to. They have no hope. All of society overlooks them, leaves them in this hellhole and doesn't care about them because even if they vote for somebody, they're forgotten about because nobody gives a shit about them, really, to tell you the truth. There are a few people who do, but there are such a small, limited number of people who care about them. And that's that's another blemish on our soul as human beings. But and then I realized, wow, if you get that desperate, if you're like so at the end of your rope that you just 
fucking had it because you just feel like, gee, I just, you know, just saw a cop burn down my brother and shoot him when he had no gun. And we have no schools, no education, no future jobs. We're just going in and out of jail. It's a cycle. We have no good food. Our streets smell like crap. Then, you know, you might do something like that and be so full of anger, which is sad. So you have to, you can't just see something happen and condemn it. You have to say, why did they do it? Why did a person who was willing to give up her life and wore an Air Force uniform with such pride break into a Capitol to want to face, without a gun, her elected representatives to let them know how annoyed she was? Why? Well, the answer's there. She wrote it the night before. She feels that the system's broken and she doesn't believe it anymore and she's very upset. And if you keep pushing the people in this country, the black people, by discriminating against them, the inner city people by leaving them in this hellhole, you know, the, the people who live in rural America who really like to go to church and are proud of their country and want to have a flag in front of it and want to be taken more seriously and be represented. And don't want all their jobs, you know, shipped overseas because somebody got, you know, greased in their palm in a back room somewhere. If you just keep taking that cigarette, burning it in their head, you keep taking your heel, your boot, and you keep pressing it down on them. And you keep yapping with those mouths of yours, these incendiary, horrible, insulting things over television and on the Internet. And if you tell half of them they can't use your platform because... I don't agree with you while letting other people who are using your platform to traffic women who get raped four times a day, you know, you got to cut it out. Like, I wish I could just step up and be a giant among all human beings and say, cut it out. Do you think Americans want to hear one more snotty, snarky, crappy, mean comment from a president or someone in the press? No. We want uplifting, inspiring, thought-provoking, educational comments. I demand more now on behalf of every single human being. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris could unite this country by taking a 20-day bus caravan through the parts of America that didn't vote for them. And in the meantime, half of Congress should go into the inner city and get it as to why Black people and the inner city people are so upset. And finally, you should all have to come clean about what crooked thing you're doing in the background because you've got immunity. So why not fess up and come clean so that we can start with a fresh slate? I will say this. This is a very bad time in our country. The tinderbox of emotions and hatred are so volatile that anything could happen and we could watch this country just blow up. Or real leaders, I keep using that term, real leaders will step up and change America forever. Wouldn't it be beautiful if, you know, you got to hear Republicans and Democrats debate in Congress, you know, how we balance clean fracking so that we can save some jobs with making sure people slowly phased into the use of electric cars and you know, other measures that would save the planet, but also not wipe out jobs and come forward in unison and celebrate that there was a solution for everybody, not everyone being totally happy 
And in a world where, you know, there's a whole bunch of people in Congress, but we don't even notice what their skin color or race is because we don't judge people by that anymore. This isn't fantasy. We're educated, every one of us, even the people who only have had a high school degree, the internet educates you. We're educated. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. It's in our hearts. Let's start doing the right thing. Now, look, I'm sorry that I'm, I hope you listen to this, every inch of it, with your family, with your friends. You know, I love concerts. I love music. I love um, victory. I love sports. I love, you know, people who accomplish great things. I love people with legs who are cut off, who end up swimming across the English Channel. I love people who come out of the inner city against all odds and, and become fantastically successful people. I love Ronald Isley and how beautiful his voice is and, and all the concerts that I ran into with all my artist friends and clients. And I love seeing lawyers graduate from law school or doctors, you know, or people who are street cleaners or two old men playing chess who are Puerto Rican and who have been there and, and, and live for their chess game or going in and cleaning up a freaking slum and, and making it livable and making people happy and bringing better food into the inner city and better education and being proud of our inner cities and, and, and having people aspire to be like their politicians and trust them. This is achievable, America. Wake up. Start demanding it. Tell Twitter, you know what? I don't believe President Trump was a, a classy president. I think he did some things wrong. But I don't want you ever, ever, ever limiting the speech of people who have different ideas. Give him some ground rules. Make them public. As long as he complies with that, let him be. Because you know what? There's a whole lot of these other people who are poor and white. Some of them are black and some of them are Latino who came from Cuba and they don't want another regime of people like the ones that they left behind. And these people who you call Trumpsters, we got to listen to them. We got to listen to our black brothers and sisters. And we got to listen and listen to the crying at night we don't hear of the women humanly trafficked. And we got to hear and think about our inner cities and our homeless people and our vets. We can't let the, the care of our vets slip now. We got to take better and better care of them. And we should send fewer of them off to war. Nobody wants to send them off to war. We should try to make friends in, in this uh, world of ours, but realize that some of them would take advantage of us. These are hard jobs. I'm proud of this country, but we haven't done something to be proud of now for a long time. None of us. So let's start the new year, this pandemic all around us, and, and search out our better selves, demand our politicians be better people, and look for an education from people who are different from you. Ask the question why and learn and grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.